This is the Coin Gamma Podcast, and I'm your host, Fritz Charles. Hello, welcome to the Coin Gamma Podcast. I'm happy to introduce a illustrious guest, Kyle Wang. Kyle is a crypto enthusiast, um, currently working at IBM, you know, one of the, the premier, or I would say the historical technology companies. And so, you know, but he's kind of able to leverage that platform and, 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 and be that, you know, crypto enthusiast within that big corporation, as well as building his own brand and following. Uh, he has quite the following on LinkedIn. And, you know, once I read some of his pieces, looked at how he looked at the market and, and gleaned his insights, I knew he was somebody that really wanted to give us a lot of insight and, and, and educate our audience. And so with that, you know, I'm going to thank you again, Kyle, for uh, spending this time with us. And uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. No, thank you so much, Fritz, for that kind introduction. You know, glad to be on this podcast and glad to share some of the great experiences I've had uh, really over the past uh, past half year to a year. So, you know, as Fritz said, uh, I'm Kyle Wong. Uh, I'm a senior consultant at IBM, so that's my day job, right? And, you know, to be honest, uh, much of it isn't really related to blockchain. Uh, the, block ch- the blockchain component of it, which is mostly kind of quality assurance uh, and sales when it comes to hyperledger fabric, actually evolved out of my manager uh, seeing a lot of my posts on LinkedIn and a lot of my uh, extracurricular uh, activities. Uh, one day sure. I just got an email from him and the subject line just said, when did you become a blockchain enthusiast in all caps? And then it said, call <laughs> me. So, <laughs> so I called him and that's kind of why I got put on some, uh, you know, some blockchain efforts within IBM. Um, but aside from that, you know, I've grown pretty close with a number of the people in IBM's blockchain practice. Um, I can't say enough good things about our partnership with Stellar and the fine people at Stellar. I think, you know, they're great people who really want to make a big difference in the world, right, when it comes to financial inclusion, um, et cetera. But sure. Fritz, uh, as you alluded to, you know, there's a lot more to me, of course, than just my daytime job. I think uh, I find a, I uh, fulfill a lot of my passion uh, for blockchain and distributed ledger technology really after hours, right? Whether that's supporting a large number of blockchain-enabled startups or just meeting a lot of great people in the space, both overseas and within the U.S., um, and just trying to push forward the ecosystem however I can, right? Um, I think that this is a space that is just very, very unique and that I find myself being drawn into all these topics and subtopics that I never would have been interested in, right? I, I wouldn't have thought I would be interested in the legal uh, ideas behind securities and what's not a security. Uh, I never would have thought I'd be interested in taxes, right, and how to effective the best strategies for tax mitigation when it comes to cryptocurrency investments, right? Uh, all these different areas that you know, for me, has really all come together. And the best part is you meet so many intelligent and thoughtful people in all these different areas as well. Um, That's right. But uh, just to, you know, give you a brief idea, though, of what I'm kind of doing. So right now, the niche I'm kind of filling more is I've been working with a lot of uh, Chinese uh, organizations, projects, um, investors overseas, and just trying to bridge the gap because I know a lot of them, miners included, are trying to move over uh, to Canada, to the United States, to parts of Europe, right? So I'm trying to facilitate that however I can. Um, and in the meantime, right, I've been finding that I have less time to do this, but there's so many uh, great projects going on uh, in the States and overseas. So it's always great to be a part of that, whether it's linking them up with the right resources, you know, legal or marketing, or just offering uh, some uh, some idea of some uh, strategic vision of where they want to go and how they might conduct their token sale uh, in a responsible manner, right? So I hope of that gives you a good course. idea, Fritz. No, 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 totally, totally. Thank you for that um, that, uh, that detailed background. And I kind of get, I think it sets the stage for our chat. Um, I want to kind of get into the the services that you provide or the the, the consultant that you do on the side with some of these uh, you know international investors, particularly those in East Asia. Um, but can you kind of speak a little bit as to what you know what's IBM's view on the, the blockchain space? Are they one of the companies that you know similar to like you know Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan, where it's like I'm not really into the currency, but I'm really into technology. What uh, you know, what 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 is IBM doing? That certainly, and you know, uh, I'd also like to just say right off the bat that you know, please don't take anything that I say as the official position of IBM, but merely, sure. of course, my opinion uh, based on what I've seen and what I think is uh, happening. Right. So I would say, you know, Jamie Dimon's kind of a very popular kind of idea of blockchain, not Bitcoin. Right, is something that I would say is definitely very. Uh, 
very popular, very endemic attitude, I think, throughout uh, the industry, whether it's consulting or financial services. I'd say for the first half of 2017 and even before, right, that's was probably pretty much a very dominant attitude, right? But even within IBM and outside of it, I see a lot of these attitudes sort of shifting. Um, IBM, you know, this is kind of a more of an open secret, right? But IBM is has a history of fierce internal competition, right? So uh, while we have a blockchain practice and we have our point of view, um, there's definitely... Uh, many other groups within IBM uh, that, you know, have different attitudes, right, toward where they want to uh, see the space grow, what kind of projects right. they want to be involved in. Um, and it's, you know, not IBM specific, but just symptomatic of a larger corporation, right? You have many stakeholders sure. all trying to, you know, having their own ideas and uh, making a lot of their own decisions. So I think like toward, uh, you know, the very beginning, like IBM, you know, really the blockchain space is so young. I think our our practice has only been around for maybe about three years now, uh, which okay. is an eternity, I know, in the crypto world, but in the largest yeah, scheme, yeah, yeah. Uh, very young. Um, but their main focus, I think, and, and I think they've done it very well. And you can see that in our partnerships with Maersk and our joint venture, along with our uh, very successful food supply chain pilot, right, with Kroger's and Walmart, very much right. focused you know, business to business, where I like to say more enterprise to enterprise, right, very, very large uh, companies, uh, very large implementations, trying to make a really big difference uh, on the national uh, and international stage, right? Um, is that Kroger, uh, sorry to interrupt, is that Kroger partnership, does that have to do with the validation of the safety of food or... You know, whether That's correct. Like, uh, yeah. I actually think it's very, very, uh, very fascinating, very interesting use case. Uh, for instance, uh, I remember seeing a great model uh, when I was, or sorry, a great uh, demo when I was in Armonk where they used Hyperledger Fabrics uh, uh, to essentially trace uh, strawberry right back to the field it was planted. Um, and yeah. you can kind of see the uh, implications there when it comes to, say, spinach, right? So, you know, we have E. coli outbreaks, right? And it's a very popular example, but yeah, uh, Chipotle, is, Chipotle went through this a few years ago. Exactly right, Fritz. And of course, they just had to throw out everything, right? So right. if you're a Kroger's or something, you just got to throw out all your spinach, which is a huge waste. But the idea here is with enough kind of uh, uh, enough utilization of blockchain, being able to track it using you know various you know certifications, documents, etc., having it all transparent. Uh, theoretically and in practice, you should be able to trace you know. The fault or the defective spinach, uh, right back to the the plant or grove or uh, what have you that it came from, right? So you'd only exactly. need to throw out a specific batch. And I think you know that's that's a really great uh, use case. That's a really cool thing. Uh, and I think that's yeah. something that's long overdue, you know, in the 21st century, right? No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, but um, you know, so so you know, just following up, that's that's mostly like kind of the enterprise side. Uh, and we've, I, I think, I can say, you know, quite. Uh, you know, I think most would agree that, especially IBM, uh, we've been uh, kind of uh, reticent about working with cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency startups, right? Uh, and it's that's not unpopular either. It's just the idea that you know this is a very new industry. We wanted to watch uh, where the ICO scene was kind of going. Um, but I think I can say definitively that with our partnership with Stellar, um, with our recent efforts uh, acquiring the Promontory Group, right, uh, who okay. has their own ICO consulting, or sorry, excuse me, their own cryptocurrency consulting practice, that we're definitely moving that direction, right? Tokenization is here to stay, right? And I think that enterprises like IBM or our competitors, just like Accenture or Microsoft, can certainly add a lot of value, right, even in the startup world. Definitely, definitely. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool to see that. I think, you know, it's cool to see that they're, they're taking the, the initiative to kind of partner with Stellar and, uh, and do these kind of uh, partnerships with companies like Kroger, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, older companies and younger companies, whether they like it or not, this technology is going to be around. And so it, it's, it benefits them to kind of stake their ground into that space pretty early, um, whether it's with partnerships, whether it's with uh, talent acquisition, et cetera. So... It's cool to see that, you know, a company that, you know, is, is a little bit older um, and, 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 you know, it's not quite frankly not top of mind all the time when it comes to technology is still kind of in the at the forefront. Um, so right, yeah, let's kind of circle right back to uh, did, you, did you have something to add to that? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was simply saying that, yes, perhaps this will be, uh, you know, the impetus that will drive IBM to perhaps another golden age. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, with, with you over there, you know, anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind, Chris. 
you know, let's circle back to the uh, the conversation around, you know, some of the people you, you've chatted with and talked with out of uh, East Asia. Just to kind of set the stage for our listener, you know, cryptocurrency is a global market. And so when you hear people talk about the bond market, the stock market, a lot of times it's U.S. centric. When you hear it, you know, and read about it on Wall Street Journal or watch it on CNBC or Fox Business. Um, but cryptocurrency is 24 hours, 24-7. Even on Christmas, you know, it was trading. So... Um, and, you know, outside of the U.S., the t- top markets, two of the, you know, the top three markets are uh, in East Asia. So Asia is super important when it comes to this market to understand what's going on over there because, you know, you'll wake up and the prices of your currencies could completely, be completely different. And it all has to do with the sentiment out of uh, China, uh, Japan, and Korea as well. Um, and so, yeah, you know, tell us a little bit about what's how do you work with the folks out there? What's their sentiment? Sure. Uh, I'll just kind of give you a background perhaps first about how I kind of get involved and uh, really got to meet a lot of uh, these people. Sure. Um, so all of it was, you know, I, I won't uh, become a full-on LinkedIn evangelist on this call, but I think LinkedIn was just oh, amazing. Feel, feel free. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because really everything is can, – I can probably trace back to some – uh, conversation with a stranger I've never met uh, over the internet, right, over LinkedIn. Uh, and just getting involved in these Chinese delegations was really kind of a fluke, right? So I met, um, I made a great friend in Chicago, uh, Adrian Cortez. You probably see him post news articles nonstop. Yeah, he's right? popular so as well, yeah. He has an incredible stamina for that sort of thing. Uh, so <laughs> he, he uh, you know, introduced me to a lot of the Chicago, uh, the blockchain community in Chicago, and they were holding a rather large conference, uh, a FinTank kind of conference, uh, in the area. Um, and during one of the uh, networking breaks, I re- I came across this Asian gentleman standing by himself when I thought, well, you know, I'm Asian, he's Asian, so, you know, we should be best friends. So I went and spoke <laughs> to him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first thing he started asking me was like, oh, you're at IBM. Hey, would you like to help me with this blockchain delegation that's coming? Um, and truth to be told, I was very naive. I didn't even know uh, those kind of delegations existed. Um, and kind of one yeah. thing led to another, and I'm actually helping plan a third one. Yeah, just one. for people that don't know, I mean, the way I understand delegations is kind of like, a, a, you know, a group of investors um, could be varying size, and they'll come to a country. And in this case, it'll be pe- it's people from China coming into the U.S. and kind of doing a tour of, uh, you know, meeting potential investors, uh, investment, you know, uh, investment targets and entrepreneurs. And in this case, people that are looking at crypto or blockchain projects is kind of is that how you would describe it? Is it is this how that term is used in this use case? Absolutely correct, Fritz. And I would just add on as well that uh, in addition to your standard crop of you know venture capitalists and investment firms, uh, usually these uh, these delegations are also accompanied by some academics from like Tsinghua University or some of those more leading uh, kind of universities in China who are interested in these new technologies, along with executives from tech companies, right? That just want to have an idea of the lay of the land, the U.S. Technolo- uh, technology technology. Uh, uh, from the United States and how it might apply to make their business processes more efficient, right? So sure. you're absolutely right. Uh, so so it's it's essentially, uh, you know, these groups, maybe like 20 to 30, just come by the San Francisco area, Chicago, New York, and they visit a lot of, um, you know, the more popular organizations here along with some startups. So, you know, as you would think like Ripple, you know, Stellar, looking at uh, enterprises like IBM and Microsoft, maybe some smaller services, uh, but with, you know, with no less potential such as Wire or uh, or, or say like Enigma, right in New York, et cetera. So just uh, getting a taste of, uh, of of all these projects here, uh, finding investable opportunities, and also opportunities to implement the technologies here. And I'll, I'll just kind of uh, say a quick shout out too that I I'm, I think uh, the reverse trend will will probably happen soon because I think these companies are also very interested in doing a reverse trip, right, where they take a lot of uh, the same kind of crowd from the United States or Canada to China, right, to visit many of these leading kind of hedge funds or projects in China that are of yeah, quality. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so, I see that with, uh, with with Tron, with TRX. I mean, I think obviously, um, you know, the the, the leaders. He's very voracious on Twitter and all <laughs> the other social networks. But you could tell that he's kind of trying to cater to the Western investor. Um, you know, not only you know making sure that he uses English, but it's kind of mm-hmm. like his messaging and stuff like that. I could tell he's trying to adopt a style that um, he believes that the Western investor would be excited 
by. Right. And you're very astute to notice that. And I think that he is doing uh, completely the right thing in terms of Trump's business interests because he's already got such a such a large following in China because he's uh, very, very well known as a popular app developer. Right. But like most uh, most uh, company or like most projects in China, uh, the founders or the leaders uh, of these projects tend to be superstars within uh, within the country, right? But then, as soon as you leave it, nobody really knows them, right? So that's kind right, of a game. Right. many projects similar to Tron are trying to traverse, right? Um, so, so, so that's how I ended up meeting a lot of these VCs, and it turned out that my Chinese was just good enough to be, you know, my normal okay. charming self. <laughs> so that I works. was able to meet a lot of them. I made a lot of great friends, and uh, it's really just incredible because, uh, you know, I think there's might also be kind of a cultural difference because here in the United States, when you meet, uh, you know, venture capitalists or very high net worth individuals, they tend to dress a certain way, right? They tend to, you know, uh, associate with a certain crowd. But many of these people uh, from China, you know, some of them are quite young, maybe really early 30s. Um, late twenties, yeah. even um, they yeah. dress like very, very fashionably, but they wear some of the funniest stuff. But of course, it's all very expensive stuff, right? Like I, I remember seeing this guy with um, wearing a sweater uh, with 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 stitchings of dead dogs all over it, right? And he said, "This is Gucci." <laughs> it's like ah, <laughs> but that's hilarious. It's just interesting because this isn't really the crowd that you think is like has net worths of like fifty million or a hundred million or, or early yeah. Bitcoin investors, et cetera, right? So it's not to say they're not sophisticated because they're definitely a very sharp bunch, but it's definitely, uh, you know, you would kind of spot them in the street and you wouldn't think like, oh, this guy, you know, has, you know, has a, has many ways and means going for him or he's a, you know, he's, he's very, very high net worth or anything like that. Uh, but they're a very casual crowd. And one thing that, um, you know, it's more of a generalization, but from what I've seen, I really enjoy interacting, um, with the Chinese a lot more than many of the VCs I've met uh, in the West, just because they don't seem to take themselves very seriously, right? They're right. Uh, very humorous. Uh, you know, it's not that not that like anything's ever not not that everything's a joke to them or anything, but they tend to have a lot of levity um, in the way that they conduct business. They're, they're more they're more personable. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Much yeah. more personable, right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, funny, and and that's gonna kind of. That's a competitive advantage in the sense that you know, look how you're you're more likely to kind of engage with them and exchange information with them, and that's going to allow them to have um, increased deal flow, right? Whereas the, uh, the individuals that are a little bit more standoffish, um, you know, they may not be as attractive. And you know, given the fact that they're young and they're casual, um, you know, quite frankly, cryptocurrency is 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 a is a movement that's driven by a lot of uh, youth, um, a lot of millennials, etc. So you know, you're going to see more and more of the bigger players kind of uh, have styles that align with what you just described. Right, right. Absolutely. And it's also a pleasure just to see business deals kind of happen in action, right? So, you know, over here in the States, we, we place, and it's not like a right or wrong thing or anything like that, but we place a large premium on contracts, right? And having uh, the right, uh, you know, earmark, right amount earmarked for certain services, right? But then in sure. China, it's. I'm not saying that this is how all transactions happen. Course, but uh, it's just great to you know sit in on a dinner where there's like there's two like high net worth individuals or there are two people who are uh, you know who are founders of re different respective projects trying to establish some sort of partnership and it all does seem very casual because much of the meal is just you know uh, you know just talking about really nothing right just talking about the general climate blockchain and then you know sometime during the uh, in the middle of the dinner or toward the end of the dinner, someone will just say, hey, I think this will be a great idea if we do X, Y, and Z. And the other person is, yeah, I think that's I think that's excellent. How about you just let me eat like, you know, I, I use the word eat because in Chinese it's it's a phrase that's used, but if you just let me eat like 6 to 7% of that deal, how about that? And then the other guy's just like, oh. I like that terminology, eat, eat. Right, you know, right. Me, or eat, everybody, or eat everybody a couple needs of to eat. Tokens. Everybody's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the other guy's like, oh, like, come on, like, you know, we can we can probably do better than that, but or we can probably you can probably eat more than that. But like, how about you do this as well, right? Or how about we we arrange this as well? I think it'll be really beneficial. And the other guy is just like, oh yeah, man, like we're going to make so much money. This is great. Come on, another beer, you know? <laughs> this That's kind super of thing. cool. Another, another bottle, right? Uh, so it's I just I just think that business kind of culture is very very interesting, um, and I think reputation also, you know. Uh, means a lot, of course, as well, right? Because uh, just like in this, probably even to a greater magnitude than here in the States, right? Uh, there's definitely a lot of fraudsters and scamsters uh, in China. Of course. Uh, a lot of MLMs and a lot of Ponzi schemes, right? Uh, but, a lot uh, of big connects. 
Exactly, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it connects. Exactly, but many of the large players all know each other, right? It's a fairly kind of tight community, so it's just exciting to, I guess, uh, outside looking in, right? Kind of be a fly on the wall. That's great. That's great. Now, what um, you you hit on a lot of a, a few different things, um, but one of the things that I want to kind of dig into is that you know, in addition to the tour, you have you you also you know you you're, you're hearing different things during your different conversations and so you know a lot of these individuals are whales you know whales being for the, for, for our listeners whales are, are basically people that have oversized um, positions in certain uh, currencies or, or tokens and so you know they own more than the average person owns and so it could be you know in in something like over five percent you never know depends right um, and but you know be given that fact they can move the market because you know um, the market's based on supply and demand, and so it doesn't take a, a much for them to kind of take out all the supply, depending on which side of the market they want to move. Um, and so, yeah, you you kind of posted again. This is a back back to you plugging in LinkedIn, and you know we're gonna get we're gonna have uh, Kyle tell us some of his uh, social media handles, but you know Kyle is somebody <laughs> to follow because he's he's kind of just dropping gems like multiple times a day, and so you had a pretty cool post around like some of the top insights that you gained from your, you know, your, your Chinese whale friends, uh, or AKA, you know, crypto investors. Um, and so like, you, you know, we talked about some of that. So you talked about, we already talked about the Western projects. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, again, what, a you know, let's talk about a little bit about the, the discipline Let's talk about the exchanges that they use, um, pumps as well. Can you kind of get into that a little bit? For sure. Uh, I think it's like a very, it's actually a very diverse ecosystem um, that I think many people um, aren't really aware of, right? So uh, just like I think people fall into the same kind of uh, trap when we talk about the Chinese government, right? Because many people kind of think like, oh, the Chinese government is doing this or all the crypto whales are doing this. But really, there are kind of different schools of thought, right? And different kind of factions within those groups, right? Just like in the government, uh, there will be many people who support cryptocurrency and blockchain, either because they see the technological value or they themselves are profiting immensely, right? (laughs) Because of it. Um, And then, of course, there's others who are more much more focused on the interests of the state in terms of control, right, and being able to, uh, you know, prevent uh, prevent rampant capital flight or being able to, you know, monitor certain activities of, this, of its citizens, sure. etc. Um, and but with whales, you know, the analogy doesn't hold perfectly. But with whales, you know, there's some that, uh, you know, I actually met some, one of them uh, completely unrelated when I was at a conference in New York, right? Uh, and I was just kind of speaking to him, and he was just casually saying, like, right, you know, typically. You know, I, my, my minimum investment is probably a million USD and I'm in about 50 to 60 different ICO projects, right? And it was really funny because I was sitting there with another one of my friends who's quite a, quite a large investor from China herself. And she was just, she was making fun of him because she was just saying 50 to 60, like how many of those do you flip? It's got to be three quarters, right? And he said, right. yes, I flip about half of them, right? And, you know, for the audience, right, uh, flipping uh, or, or pumps and dumps, right, in, in the ICO world or initial coin offering world is typically when uh, you take a outsized position early on in a pre-sale with a lot of discounts with the intention to dump right uh, right after the ICO period or right after the tokens on exchange as quickly as possible because since you bought in much earlier at such a large dis- discount, uh, many of the investors, other investors that buy in after you right, are, end up holding the bag right, or old, end up kind of uh, right. uh, buying into your sale. Right? Um, so, but uh, it was interesting to see these two different philosophies because this guy was clearly uh, from, <laughs> you know, from the world of pump and dumps where um, he, uh, he, you know, either from inside information, he he's able to purchase into many of these companies and make a quick profit, right? And usually, it's not it's not even a small. It's like maybe at least two x to probably upwards of eight to ten x, right? Depending wow, on wow. the coin and the and I'm project. Sure, and, 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 and I'm sure he said it. He was really mad of fact about it. He didn't even think that it was, you know, something to kind of like shy away from or hide. Oh, absolutely. Just like, yeah, this is this is what we do, and this is how it works. And <laughs> you should join yeah, too. Yeah. People who think that there's any that pump and dumpers like feel any sort of stigma in China would be, you know, sorely mistaken. Uh, but it was really funny because uh, my friend who was sitting there was just so hers is more of a long term uh, kind of fund, right? So she wants to hold and long term in crypto uh, isn't exactly long term in the traditional market, but long term right. for her is probably more like a half year or a year where her focus is more on platform projects, perhaps like Cardano or or Neo or Zilliqa, etc. That are you know that. Uh, 
promise also promise really outsized returns like 20x to 50x right but probably over a longer period of time so this is an interesting difference in philosophy because they were kind of ribbing each other about uh you know the way that they kind of invest and in which is ultimately more profitable right um but uh you know i'll also just circle back really quick to when i was talking about western projects uh i also think it's a very interesting uh trend and probably not not that surprising that since there's such a uh there's such a demand for uh, quality projects right now, right? So when I say quality projects, I mean projects with actual products that can that have a uh, staying power, right? That can continue to grow, that can become your Ethereum's or or Neos or any of those top ten coins, really, right? Um, compared to le- quality projects of lesser quality that might look good on the surface, but are essentially very easily pump and dumped, right? And then they kind of lie right. dormant for who knows how long until the next pump, right? Um, so there's such a competition for these quality projects uh, that right now I, I kind of, you know, even from my own personal experience, I really see um, an about face in that or the boot being on the other foot when it comes to the venture capital project relationship. Uh, because early 2017 or mid 2017, uh, you would you could talk to the business developer of an ICO project. And if you told them that you had a VC that was willing to put in one to five million, or even in today's cases, 10 to 20 million, they'd be overjoyed, right? They're just like, of please course. let me take your money, please. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll increase the alley, like, just please give us your money, right? But now, uh, you know, when I when I talk to, you know, business development, uh, staff or founders of some of these larger ICOs, they, the first question they ask is, well, we can consider an allocation, but we're already oversubscribed. So could you please let us know what value you would offer us, right? So mm-hmm. you can see that, uh, you know, these projects, especially if they are quality and they know they're quality, that, you know, they can be very, very selective about who they bring in because there's a lot of pent up demand, right? And I think oh, uh, to that those uh, those firms that have enjoyed an early mover advantage, advantage, uh, you know, here in the states like Pantera, Blockchain Capital, DCG, and overseas such as uh, FBG and uh, Fumbusha Capital, right, uh, definitely have a huge advantage because they have that brand name recognition. Whereas there's uh, countless numbers of well capitalized VCs that just you know nobody knows who they are, right? Nobody knows who they're yeah. connected to, and there's yeah, no reason yeah. to give up a tenth or even a fiftieth of your allocation uh, for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing about this space. I mean, it's democratizing um, investments on such a wide level. And so, you know, not only are, are traditional investors competing with retail investors, so the everyday person, but, you know, also in, 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 um, you're competing with investors internationally. So, you know, historically Absolutely. in the U.S., you know, or, you know, most of the Western world, you know, VCs kind of had their run in the mill of the top you know, if you were a top projects in the U.S., you know, traditional places to go, you know, go to Y Combinator, do you, do that incubator. And then once you got out, you would dream to kind of get money from uh, Andreessen Horowitz or First Round right. Or, right. or Sequoia, what have you. And they would have their pick of the litter and they would just kind of pick and choose the best projects that they, they could. And now, you know, people are going straight to the market themselves. Um, and they're raising money from all over the world, from all types of folks. And so, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's some danger there because, you know, you don't have a lot of the gatekeepers. Um, but it's a cool thing in the sense that, you know, there's more competition. So now there's more power uh, in the hands of the entrepreneur. Right. And this may go outside of the scope a little bit of our discussion, but I also think no, uh, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, looking at, you know, finally examining kind of our accredited investor kind of status. I know one of my friends uh, on LinkedIn recently was writing about how his uh, thesis was that the ICO craze was due in large part because uh, there's so many, you know, large opportunities that have locked out smaller investors for so long, particularly in the United States, right? Just because of uh, our mostly arbitrary accredited investor kind of a criteria, right? Uh, And for listeners, that's, uh, you know, three years of more of of at least $200,000 USD uh, in annual income in excess of your uh, living costs or having a net worth of a million dollars or more in excess of your living costs, right? So those numbers, as you can see, are kind of arbitrary because it doesn't necessarily mean that you're very well informed, right? If you're, if you inherited a large sum of money, it doesn't necessarily make you more qualified than the computer engineering student, right? At the community college next door, right? Exactly. Um, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. But, you know, what I've also heard uh, is that 
uh, just all efforts to kind of push this legislation through are kind of uh, kind of muddied about for, for political reasons on Capitol Hill, right? And, you know, it's another subject entirely about uh, my thoughts that we have a huge gap when it comes to proper lobbyists, when it comes to blockchain technology, right, in Capitol Hill. Oh, no, but, no, no, I agree. Uh, but, but overall, I think, like, there's definitely some political issues because if you think about it, like, being uh, expanding the accredited investor pool may actually very well fit the Democratic platform a lot because you're democratizing capital, right? You're preventing... Right the one to two to 5% from accessing, you know, the best opportunities, but on the surface, right, anything uh, having to do with, uh, you know, reduce what's, what's, what seems like reducing investor protections, right, also faces kind of a backlash. So it's kind of an interesting political game now, I think, as more people can have a better understanding of what, uh, what uh, expanding that uh, accreditation process, accreditation process, actually, or not process, accreditation uh, status actually means, right, and what it means right, for right, right. crowdfunding. Well, you know, to that point is that, you know, yeah, that kind of uh, what you see with ICOs now, a lot of ICOs are just not are skipping the U.S. because right. they don't want to deal with that. They don't know what's coming down the line. They don't know if they'll be in trouble for um, accepting investors that come from the U.S. So increasingly, um, there are they they're skipping the U.S. and not, um, you know, either they're they're making sure that they only accept accredited investors or they're doing kind of like a, a small pre-sell from institutional investors or they're just kind of locking out U.S. investors and then they're allowing individuals outside the U.S. to participate. And because demand is so high, um, they can meet, they can exceed their targets without any U.S. dollars, um, exactly. which, is, which is unique. Um, yeah, I've even seen U.S., you know, I saw a, a project out of New Jersey, you know, like, you know, on the East Coast and of the U.S., and they were, you know, they presented about their ICO, and everybody was pretty excited. And at the end of the, the presentation, they're like, yeah, well, you know, we're not accepting any money from you guys. <laughs> and so it was kind of a weird juxtaposition. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that's happening because nobody knows what's coming down the line. Um, that's an excellent point. Exactly. And I would say also it's uh, it's it's very interesting from both sides of the aisle, right, in terms of how uh, projects are looking for investors, right, the Chinese coming to the States and, uh, <laughs> I guess, American projects going to China, right, trying to trying to uh, market their product there. I remember uh, hearing uh, from a friend that he w he went to kind of market his ICO in China and what he saw kind of scared him because at the venue, I think it was probably like a hotel or, or something, something like that, he just saw tour buses uh, pop up, right, uh, pull up. So these are ICO tours. Uh, and But the people who got out of the buses were not the type of person he was expecting that would be interested in investing in his ICO because it was like a crowd of elderly women, right? <laughs> would come out and then they would ask him you know hey like the very intelligent questions like hey you know what's what's the what's the cap right what's the lockup period what's the max raise right how many how many tokens are in circulation and it's like what is happening to me right now and it kind of scared him but uh, I, I will say that the, there's a there's a particular mania uh, especially uh, overseas in east asia and china particularly uh, because there's a lot of money uh, that wants to go somewhere right and uh, and truth to be told like if you look at other asset classes or investment opportunities there really isn't uh, anything that really stands out like do you really want to put yourself put your funds in the market when it's the traditional market that's at an all-time high do you want to put your right. put your money in real estate right now not really right you really want to yeah. buy gold you know so I think blockchain is still really the preferred uh, investment vehicle um, and not to say people don't diversify into precious metals or gems or you know putting putting some away and um, and other like other other such assets but I think blockchain uh, from at least uh, the people that I've been talking to in China really seems to be uh, the new hot topic for sure. Awesome, awesome. So let's. Uh, no, no, I, I totally, totally agree. I, I mean, everybody's looking for yields. Um, interest rates mm -hmm. are are super low nowadays, and equities are super high. Nobody wants to kind of be caught holding the bag um, when the re you know the returns uh, pale in comparison to crypto. Um, so what about um, what about government stuff? So like government and energy. So you had a you had a point around you know there's some opinions around what. The, you know, people in the Chinese government are doing or what, how they may be playing a part in this game, um, as well as uh, energy that comes with mining. Yeah. So when it comes to, when it comes to the uh, energy, unfortunately, uh, I think the, 
the mining the mining uh, climate in China was probably too good to last, right? Because the problem with um, you know Bitmain and uh, well, not problem. I think that's a harsh term, but I think like some of the issues that large mining mining companies in China face is that they're not really uh, they don't really have uh, great allies, right? So so. The way the Chinese government uh, kind of works in many ways is that you need you need your people, right? So it kind of kind of sounds like you know gangs and mafia and that sort of thing, but it's not just dissimilar. I mean, the U.S. works that way as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I have a great, just really short anecdote from my own uh, family, which I think is quite interesting. So my uncle, uh, when he was when he was he's retired now, but when he was younger, he was actually a police. Uh, chief or police captain, I can't remember, uh, but it was like reasonably high up. So he had a lot of good friends in Chinese government. Um, and then sure. for one reason or other, I think he, uh, you know, he must have, uh, you know, made made the wrong people angry because right. uh, these people grabbed him. They threw him in, in his own prison. Right. And they beat him. Right. For, right. <laughs> for, for a couple hours. And it was pretty bad. And <laughs> and he was stuck. Uh, he was stuck in prison until uh, his people in government found out about it and came and pulled him out. Right. So right, right. <laughs> I just think that that's kind crazy. of like that particular story just from my childhood is, is what I kind of like imagine when I think of having your people in government. Right. So no, no, the no, no, it's crazy. My, uh, I have a similar um, family story. So my, um, my family actually immigrated to the U S from Haiti and uh -huh. while they were in Haiti, there was a, you know, it was a very long dictatorship. And so like my, you know, my grandfather was involved in the government and, his uh, his brother was uh, was put in jail when the people that you know they were supporting were overthrown and you know and they, they had to you know bail my great uncle out and that's kind of why they em ended up emigrating to the U.S. and they haven't really looked back ever since. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of people that kind of come from that have, you know have, uh, have come from places like that could could empathize with your story, but it does right. set the stage for how things might work right now even with crypto so right thanks for that thanks for that but sure, so just kind of continue that point though so with uh with with large mining pools the uh the issue with with that kind of business in china is that it's really very uh self-serving right so it, it kind of it kind of grew out very quickly right so of course you know not to you know avoid the elephant in the room which is bitmain and of course some of the other uh smaller but no less influential mining pools that have grown very quickly from the early days and appreciated just as quickly as bitcoin uh bitcoin's price is appreciated right so when you grow right. that quickly and you're very rich it doesn't really do much for you in china right you can be very rich in china but if you don't have the right connections how do you stop right, uh, right. from just taking the money from your bank account right so you know it's or from you know putting you on some charge right so it's a really big target on yourself to be fabulously wealthy but not powerful in china right, right um so right. uh and, you know, uh, you know, just another side point, and I'll return to the topic, but, you know, it's the same thing. If you see influential figures in China, like perhaps like the, the CEO of Alibaba, right, or some of these large, like, firms, like or like Tencent, for instance, with WeChat, right, it's it's completely obvious that, you know, it's they're very, very heavily influenced by government, that they're tied very, very closely together, right? And whether that's a positive or negative relationship, we can only speculate, right? But there's that relationship absolutely exists, right, for that kind of business uh, to even occur, right? Um, sure. And for miners, it's no exception. So the issue is it's tough to make friends because when you when you grow rich very quickly and you, you haven't done it by uh, by uh, growing a lot of relationships along the way, right? The only relationship you have is, you know, one of, uh, you know, uh, what's the best way to put this? Of I, I suppose I could say like just we'll just say bribery, right? So essentially, right, that's you right. pay people off, right? So the problem with that kind of relationship is like if you pay one person off, then maybe the person above that person or a person in a different department is just kind yeah, of like, hey, yeah, what are you doing? Ends. Yeah, how much are you paying him? Like, why don't yeah. you pay me too, right? Yeah, uh, and right. And the other uh, element of this is that for mining in China, uh, you know, a lot of this comes from this bribery and, you know, uh, finding favor is that there's a lot of energy subsidies in China meant for, you know, industrial right. uh, industrial plants and, and industry, right? But these uh, particular subsidies have been misused, right? Because, you know, you pay someone and then they give you, they grant that subsidy to you for your mining plant. So in a way, much of a, Many of Chinese, uh, many Chinese mining facilities have actually enjoyed an advantage uh, over many other parts of mining facilities in many other parts of the world because they have such a government-sponsored subsidy, right? So in a way, the government is is sponsoring, uh, is sponsoring the mining subsidizing Bitcoin. the mining, right? But the government isn't getting anything really out of it, right? Uh, other than right. creating 
uh, creating more of something that just helps people take money out of the out of the country, right? So the yeah. closing of the exchanges isn't really surprising. I think a lot of people were caught off guard because China has banned Bitcoin for about five or six times now or something, right? So they just thought, ah, it won't happen. But China does really take the idea of capital flight and you know anonymous or pseudo anonymous at least currencies very seriously, right? And miners are you know as much as people didn't want to believe it because they've built up such a large uh, operation there, right? Uh, was kind of the logical next step, right? Um, but right, right. I don't think um, it's, you know, it, it doesn't really, I don't think it'll mean too much in the long run. It's a huge inconvenience, but, you know, the miners in China, you know, they're, they're very, they're intelligent people too. Like they've foreseen this and they've been moving, uh, offshoring a lot of their operations, right? Uh, or have been making plans to do so for quite some time, right? Sure, um, sure. Just from a personal uh, kind of perspective, I've met a lot of, uh, a lot of the same uh, people, right, who are, you know, looking for, you know, facilities in in, in, uh, in America, mostly in Washington or New Mexico, you know, areas right. with access to a lot of renewables, at least, you know, capacity of 50 megawatt hours, uh, perhaps, you know, as uh, but also seeking to replicate the same rates, right, uh, at very, very low, uh, low cents, like maybe three, three cents, four cents per kilowatt hour as Kilo well. Hour, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. So they're, they're really, uh, they're really trying to replicate and really trying to, uh, uh, replicate those same conditions and just cu- go back to uh, their original capacity, right? Right, right. No, that's awesome. No, no, thank you for that. I mean, I think I want to just circle, I think, the environment that you described in China. Right. To the, you know, average person, they may just think like, oh, my goodness, like China's crooked and China's this and that. But I don't want to, I, I don't want to make it, I don't want, I want to kind of like circle it back to the earlier point you made around lobbying. So like, you know, yes. This happens. This happens in China, and this is the environment. And it just may, it may be a little bit more upfront, but quite frankly, this is the type of games that will have to be played in the U.S. as well. And so it's kind of done in, in a little bit more of a, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know, sophisticated fashion. So like you know, lobbying is you know is definitely uh, there's going to be a lot of money that needs to be spent on lobbying. So that will be to you know gain the favor of different um, right. uh, lawmakers in D.C. And then also on the local level, right? Um, you're going to have, you know, there's corporations, you know, and throughout time from pharmaceuticals to finance, et cetera, like they donate to campaigns. Right. And that is the U.S.'s way of, of I don't know. I mean, <laughs> probably a strong word, but I sure. think bribery. Right. And so it's the same as that game. So eventually crypto. Right. And then also you go back to your your points around energy. A lot of energy is subsidized in the U.S., um, most renewable energy is subsidized. So, you know, solar pa- panels are not efficient enough um, as compared to traditional energy sources. So, you know, um, there is going to be a, a level of trying to figure out how to how to leverage the subsidies that come from renewable energy in the U.S. and using that into mining. And so, yeah, I mean, you're going to, I think the influencers in the U.S., or going to have to, you know, take some of those learnings around how to navigate, how to work with the government and, and copy some of that. And a lot of that is in place in the U.S. as well. It's just just mm-hmm. in a kind of a different format and it's done right. behind closed doors. Um, so I just didn't want to I didn't want to, you know, I think I want to I want to kind of circle it back and say, hey, you know, China is not that dissimilar to the U.S. Absolutely. It's just a different style. I could just give some other uh, really quick color to that as well, because when I was in uh, you know, middle school or something, you know, I would learn about how America is you know, the best in terms of its democracy and you know, its government and how you, know, <laughs> you hear a lot of stuff that's really great about America. So I just ask, I'd go home and ask my parents and I would say, like, you know, how can people bear to live in China? It's just such a corrupt country, like so much corruption, the system of corruption, you know. Um, and it's not like clean, quote unquote, clean like the states. And my father was just telling me, well, if you think about it in China, right, to try to like deviate from that, to try to be outside of that realm of corruption is uh, political suicide. Right. And in the same way, it's also very, very bad uh, for the people that you've been uh, that you're representing. Right. Or that you're in charge of. So he was saying, like, look, if you're the governor uh, or if you're a person of power up. Uh, or mayor or what have you of a province, right? And you refuse to take bribes and you're a very honest person and you, you're a very direct person. So a number of things will happen, right? The first is that you won't get any benefits for your province. So your province is going to shrivel up economically and start to die. And the people under you right. will be very angry at you. And they'll say, you're a terrible, you know, you're a terrible governor. <laughs> you know, you know, people, they want to have it both ways, right? It's just like, oh, you're either corrupt or you're just terrible at accomplishing what you want to do, right? And the second is that since your province dries up, uh, 
the other thing is uh, the officials above you, your bosses, your, your your peers and other provinces will kind of think like, oh, why is this guy not taking any money, right? Does he think he's better than us? Or right, you know, right. and it locks you out of a lot of other lucrative deals and, 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 yeah, and of course, stops yeah, your personal difficult. advantage. But, you know, what's not thought of as much is that, you know, you choosing not to be corrupt or you choosing to take a different path than the common path really hurts everyone that you're supposed to be representing and everyone you're actually supposed to be supporting, right? The infrastructure of your province, the roads, the taxes, the benefits, et cetera, the subsidies, right? All of that goes away if you don't, you know, if you're not friends with the right people. So that's a great point. Um, and yeah, I think, unfortunately, sometimes you have to play the game to change the game. And so... Um, it, it's, it, I think, you know, I think, you know, there, there's idealists and there's realists. And so I think you, you kind of gave a very good balance as to why, you know, things are the way they are, um, to, to kind of, uh, I think we, we could talk about China and the different uh -huh, politics sure. and stuff like that forever. Um, and then you've, you've kind of given us a ton of great insight. Um, and, and this is awesome. Um, but just kind of, you know, just in the interest of time, I know you, you, you're a very busy guy. Um, what, you know. What are some projects that you're excited about? Um, I know, and I know you speak a lot about Neo. Can you speak about that and, and why you're excited about it, and maybe one or two other coins or projects that you see coming down the line that you're excited about? Sure. Uh, you know, just full disclosure, I definitely don't want to you know be on here to pump any specific uh, you know projects sure, or things. Sure. Like that, but I can. This, this is not financial advice. I have to give that disclaimer. It's <laughs> no, not financial advice. No, <laughs> exactly. no not financial advice. Advice, right? You could lose all your money. Don't invest more than you could afford to lose, etc. cetera. Um, but I'll say that, you know, my methodology when I look at projects, I, I think it's also part of what makes the space really great because uh, I, I've said this to a number of people recently, but in traditional finance, right, not everyone can be Warren Buffett. You can't go to the CEO of Coca-Cola or the CEO of Facebook or, or what have you and ask to, you know, just talk to them, meet the team, go and tour their factories or, or, or whatever, right? Because uh, as a retail investor, you don't have that uh, supposedly public information information, right? But you don't really have access to it. The barriers of entry are too high. But in cryptocurrency uh, with blockchain projects, um, you know, you can really you can really do a lot more than you think. You can really challenge yourself. You can really meet a lot of these founding teams that make themselves accessible to you because of sure. the community, right? They want they want people to be talking about it. They want people to be invested in it and you know see it grow, right? Whether that's Neo or Ethereum or Bitcoin, right? You can talk to a lot of um, these people and you can really surprise yourself with the access that you have. Um, so when when I look at projects, right, I, as I said before, I really like platform projects and exploring kind of new consensus protocols or or if it's applications, applications that make a lot of sense, right, making blockchain easier for users, etc. But one of the things I really enjoy doing, um, and I haven't always followed this tenant when I was investing early on, is I really like to meet the team and get to know the team. And in many ways, I've been very fortunate to do so, right. So for Neo, okay. um, I was actually an investor in Neo before I had met the founding team, but meeting them uh, after I had met them i i uh, you know again this is all my own opinion and experiences but i saw that you know wow this is this really is a very good project these are very intelligent people very humble people right when i asked them about competing projects right they they handle it very very professionally right they run down yeah. why they think the project is better um and just even also what i hear from the chinese ecosystem as well you know they're just they're very very good people right um and i'll you know i'll tell a quick story that uh you know that's neo-specific that people may not realize but um you know, Ata Hong Fei, the uh, founder of Neo, actually had it very, very rough. Uh, in the early, I don't know too many people with Neo in the early days, but uh, how that kind of happened is uh, uh, Wu Jihan, or excuse me, uh, Jian Wu, right from Bitmain, was one of the early angel investors in Neo. And right, right. after Neo's token sale, uh, you know, Jian decided that you know he for some reason or other, he wanted to cash out. So he dumped all of his NEO, right? Oh which sent goodness. NEO well below ICO price. So for a long while, and you remember this is fairly early in the ICO ecosystem, a lot of people trusted him. They trusted they would make, you know, they would have some sort of return or they wouldn't lose, uh, you know, they wouldn't actually be losing mon a lot of money. Uh, he was actually a very hated man uh, in, the, in the ICO community in China. People called him names, right? He was struggling, uh, you know, to live. Uh, well, he had no paycheck, right? So he was just struggling, right? Um, and, you know, some some of his friends that, uh, you know, are still really big influence today in the Chinese crypto community uh, took him to speaking events and universities so he can make some speaking fees, right, every once in a while just so he can uh, stay afloat, right? right. Um, and if it wasn't for the international developer community, right, they, they've saved him, right? They uh, just people saw the uh, the potential of the product. People got interested in it. And Neo came from 17 cents up to like. What is it? 140, 150 today, right? So, um, 
I think like you know they, these people, uh, the founder especially, he, he came from an area from a time of hardship. He persevered, right? And you know just from working on a great product, he overcame, right? So I have great respect uh, for the team and you know what they're trying to do, right? Uh, and the ecosystem they're trying to build. So uh, from that from that area, I know it's kind of more of a personal and emotional kind of attachment for sure. But uh, I think the technology is very sound, and from meeting the team, I think that they will go on to do great things in 2018. Um, so, so some of the other projects that I look at, you know, uh, for instance, like I'm also a big fan of the Vambex group uh, in out of uh, Vancouver, right? So okay. I've, I've met a number of their team members. I think that they are very, very professional and their product makes a lot of sense. Either party, uh, I was an early stage investor in, in terms of uh, being a smart contract wizard, drag and drop, right? Like that kind of functionality makes a lot of sense. And I really right. like to see, you know, products like that along with Blockcat or, Agre- I don't know if Agrello is still really being worked on, but Blockcat, uh, and, and uh, you know, more smart, smart contract related uh, projects such as Quantstamp. Uh, and I think Amy Wan uh, is also very active on LinkedIn is working on something called SageCoin or SageWise, right? Dealing mm-hmm. with smart contracts. Is, I think this whole area of smart contracts um, needs a lot of like better, needs better UX, needs a, needs a lot of work done around it. So those kind of projects, I think uh, I have a particular interest in. Um, and, you know, in, 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 in the same vein with platform projects, I'm also uh, an early stage investor in Zilliqa, right, or, or Zilliqa, I'm not sure about the pronunciation, but yeah, Z-I-L-L-I-Q-A, right, so uh, I've, I've had a chance to talk to some of their team members, some very, very smart guys out of Singapore, uh, working okay. on implementing the first cut of uh, successful tests on sharding, right, so, you know, these sure. kind of projects, you know, I, I've kind of at peace of myself, too, in the sense that even if, I think, you know, Zilliqa has done very, very well, I, I absolutely cannot complain, but even if Zilliqa were to have lost money and I would have lost if, if I would have lost a lot of money after ICO, I still would have felt somewhat good that I'm I am supporting, you know, in a, in a sense, like a newer technology and and trying to see uh, where these kind of newer approaches to blockchain go. Right. And that's really, really exciting to me. Uh, just uh, being able to play a part, uh, play a very, very small part, admittedly, and just, you know, trying to, you know, embrace these newer technologies right moving forward. No, I think that's the way to do it. And uh, I think smart contracts is super important. I mean, I think that smart contracts are the way, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the criticisms around crypto is like, how, how can I use it? I can't, you know, what, what, what's the point of this? And smart contracts allow for crypto, crypt, um, cryptocurrency or blockchain to be applied to real, or, real life, real world applications. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, 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 think, I think your investment thesis is a focus around um, projects that help um, push smart contracts forward um, is a great way to do it. Um, so awesome. I mean, well, listen, I mean, I think we can speak for another hour. Um, I may have to have <laughs> you back on the show. Um, and, 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 and we've learned a ton. I've learned a ton. Um, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Well, uh, to be honest, like you might be surprised, but I w- really wasn't into social media too much until I really started getting into blockchain. So, you know, okay. if, if you, uh, you know, for, for all the listeners out there, you know, feel free, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find okay. me at Kyle T. Wang, right? Just all one word. You can just search yeah, me. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that um, in the show notes. For sure, for sure. But I'm always, you know, happy to meet more people passionate about blockchain, about all the developments in it. There's just, you know, you could really just talk about days, weeks about this stuff. There's so many facets of it, right? Whether you're a developer, a marketer, a legal, accounting side, any, 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 anywhere, anyone really has a role, right? I think in this, in this particular ecosystem. Um, and other than that, really, you know, I'm on all the other stuff, WeChat, Telegram, WhatsApp, etc. I've I've started a Twitter, but I haven't been very good at using it. So maybe I'll, I'll talk to you, yeah. Fritz, about how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. I'm really I'll, kind of I'll, a I'll, noob I'll... when it comes to social media. That might be surprising, but LinkedIn is really my haunting ground. So maybe I'll no, try no, to no, expand. No, no, no. Link, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is great. LinkedIn mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I think LinkedIn is knows that content is king, and so they really reward but, people that put out good content. So. Um, you know, keep kind of stay, uh, keep keep feeding that um, that 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 uh, racehorse, so to speak, because that's kind of kind of bringing to the For finish sure. line. But obviously, you have to diversify. So, Twitter Twitter is probably yeah. right behind it. Um, awesome. Well, thanks, Kyle. Um, this was great. Um, definitely going to let people know how to get in contact with you, and uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a real privilege to be on this uh, Coin Gamma podcast. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing more uh, podcasts from you, Fritz, and thanks for having me on. Anytime.